This is Eco Echo, the podcast on environmental, ecological and sustainability issues. I'm Malky Kaur. I'm Dylan Hayward. And I'm Edward Smith. Now, in Glasgow this week, world leaders have been meeting at the COP26 climate conference. Dylan, although it's held annually, COP26 is seen as a crucial sc- summit. Yeah, so it's where governments are obliged to set out how they will end their contributions to climate change. They'll set out how they will keep global temperature rises below 1.5 degrees Celsius, and this one is a really crucial one. You mentioned temperature rises. Can you explain why Earth's temperatures are rising? Yeah, so in short, temperature rises happen as a result of human activity. When fossil fuels like oil, coal or gas are burned, greenhouse gases are released. These trap in the sun's heat and cause the planet's temperature to rise effectively, changing our climate. What it is, is it's effectively putting a jacket on Earth, it's getting too hot, and it's beginning to sweat. So why is it important that we keep temperatures down? So these rising temperatures mean a greater chance of extreme weather, um, such as heat waves, flooding, and in turn it's bad for agriculture, food, and the natural world. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, says that to have a chance of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is the goal set by governments, global emissions must halve by 2030 and reach net zero by 2050. Net zero is where the human emissions um, are near enough nil. Even then, the IPCC says that a 1.5 degree rise could be devastating in itself and that it would raise the risks of heat waves and heavy rainfall events. Um, At that temperature, coral reefs, for example, would decline by 70 to 90%. However, at 2 degrees, it would... Completely destroy them. Yeah. What would happen if the uh, what what else could happen if the temperature rises beyond one point five? And what would this look like for uh, average cities, for example, Birmingham, while we're recording this podcast? So in Birmingham, um, the hottest summer day has been around thirty four degrees, according to the Met Office. If the global average temperature increased by two degrees above the pre industrial levels. The hottest summer day we could have would be around 36.6 degrees. And if no interventions are taken and we carry on as usual, the average temperatures globally could rise by up to 4 degrees by 2100. In Birmingham, the average summer day could be about 41 degrees Celsius. That would mean that half of the country could see at least 10% more rain over winter months. Even if countries cut emissions and the world warms by 2 degrees Celsius, the whole of the UK could see higher summer temperatures, more rain. It'd be devastating. So, uh, yeah, with all that on the table, you can see why COP is very important because of being an environment conference where we can sort of solve all the problems that we're going to be facing in future generations. Um, COP at the moment is actually still ongoing when we're recording this. Uh, there is... Uh, the I actually looked at the conference's... Um, 
scheduled for this morning, and they've got uh, discussions on agriculture practices, farming methods, all that could be made more green for the uh, near future. They've been talking about things like air quality, a bunch of other things. And with these talks going on at the moment, the program continues through the days and throughout the past week and towards the end of this week, I'm fairly sure. And it can't be overstated how broad COP's focus is. They've been talking about the public sector, the private sector, various different governments have been making very sweeping promises about the different things that they can sort of do to help the situation. You know, it's run by the United Nations. It's a big deal. And, you know, actually it's 26 years of it have been ongoing at this point. So, Ed, um... The challenges that that we face, scientists have said and the IPC has said, aren't te- technological. We're not limited by the technology, really. They've said that the actual problem is political and economic. What are we going to do to, to solve that? Well, there's been a number of things. Like I said, there's such a sort of a wide berth of what they are trying to cover it's like on every level from government to industry and well it's been just many many different promises have been made to effectively get to that net zero target by 2050 and that half of what we're producing in carbon by 2030 um the uk sort of being one of the main leaders of cop and indeed i think being the president of the entire conference um sort of has made these sort of big sweeping promises some promises as early as last year before we even had this year's conference they were promising to cut down by 68 percent of our current emissions in the next 20 years so we are we're actually aiming to be ahead of where what we're required to do for 2030 the nhs and one of the, the the largest employer in the country and being a part of the global health community has been noted as being responsible for as much as five percent of global emissions that's the entire health sector worldwide not just the nhs the NHS, though, is actually planning on reaching net zero in the near future, hopefully by the 2040s, with a budget of £280 million for the next few years going into that goal alone, as part of that sort of grander plan to reach net zero nationwide by 2050. The NHS in particular is planning for carbon neutrality by 2045, as I said, so around about the same time the rest of the country should be getting to it. There are 47 other countries with similar plans around their health sectors around the world, and not and outside of the NHS, just using that as an example, the UK is planning on spending £1.425 billion in funding in the public sector following COP26, which in large part is something we've pushed because, well, as I said, we're the president of the UN Climate Conference, the COP, so there's been this huge pressure on us to... So this is COP26, isn't it, Ed? And the clue is in the title. There have been 25 previous ones, and each of them have took seriously, to some degree the threat of climate change well uh, yeah because i think uh, i'm not actually too familiar on like it's sort of long-running history but i've but as i said earlier this is a un run thing it's but it's always been a big deal it's more that as the ideas of climate change have become more well known to the general public obviously it's become sort of more well known like there's been more heat on the backs of politicians to actually do sort of stuff about this just not not in just major conferences like this but in everyday policy so yeah uh, something like cop has become a much bigger deal than it once was i think you know i it, before we even looked into this like i hadn't even heard of this like last year or the year before mm-hmm. when they had those same conferences but now with it sort of being much more prescient in everyone's minds you've got this it's been become a much bigger deal than it once was so as you've said, Ed, money is at the heart of it. 
um, the NHS and the UK government has poured in significant amounts of money. Um, but is that enough? Because the International Monetary Fund says that world governments have provided roughly $5.9 trillion a year, a year, in subsidies for fossil fuels. Which is significantly more than what the uh, people at the COP conference were actually saying they needed to contribute a year towards actual climate preservation. Which means that, if, if you think about it, on, on that sort of level, with the amount of money that's going against climate pres- preservation, just from that alone, we're already in the red on what we need to be spending for it, into a huge deficit and those fossil fuels account for about three quarters of the gas emissions that trap the heating and that's significant isn't it so do we need some sort of action against this fossil fuel lobby i would certainly say so i mean like this is just sort of me spitballing here but i think if what you said was true like three quarters of emissions that's the vast majority of emissions that are currently sort of attacking the climate. If you were to sort of shut that down within a couple of years via sort of an effective lobby or even a sanctioning, you could effectively cut the climate cr- crisis into a quarter of itself. I think that can't be overstated, the amount of uh, effectiveness that that would have. So yeah, that's from the United Nations. Um, they've said that we need to cut emissions at all levels, and a big part of that is countries, isn't it, Ed? What is the United Kingdom doing? So uh, more stuff from uh, gov.uk here in regards to how you businesses in the UK, who are one of our biggest polluters with a huge private sector, are dealing with the targets meted out. Um, 60 of 100 UK companies have been noted uh, that are noted on the FTSE. That's effectively a list of the largest companies in the UK. Um, have agreed to various terms to reach net zero carbon emissions, and 25,000 more countries, according to Minister Lee Rowley, outside that are planning on following those net zero targets. This, for this country, is a huge deal. Across the entire UN, there are only 5,200 companies similarly making those same commitments, and that's including ours. So we're making up a huge proportion of the companies that are committed to the net zero plan, and well, you know, that's good for us. It, is hugely encar- it isn't hugely it is hugely encouraging for the rest of the UN. Though, again, we are seeing continued action in, the following, in this following a previously established precedent that we've cut emissions from both the public and private sectors since 1990 by over 44%. Though, again, we are seeing continued action in this following, previ- the following a previously established precedent in this country where we've actually been quite active in carbon emission cutting. We've cut emissions across both the public and private sectors since uh, 1990 by over 44%. Uh, National Grid, as you can probably guess, one of the country's major suppliers of gas and electricity, has already reduced emissions on its own in that same time frame, since 1990, by over 70%, and and is committed to, again, this net zero 2050 target. By 2025 or 2030, depending on some estimates, the National Grid is hoping to use a large-scale piece of new-age transmission technology in their grid deployment to cut over 100 million tonnes of yearly carbon emissions from the atmosphere. Their own CEO on their own site said, quote, that this is a crucial event for every country, every government and every industry to work together to find ways to cut the carbon that we produce. And what they are specifically aiming for is really ambitious. They want to secure a global net zero by the mid-century. 
So that is what we're aiming for, isn't it? And that's why, obviously, it's really important that public and private companies do that. Um, what else is going on in the private sector, Malkate? So just to go off on that, um, I've we've spoke about, obviously, um, private sectors and what they're doing. Um, just to give an example, um, Ferro, um, Ferro Roche, the chocolate company, um, they have outlined that they want to reduce end-to-end greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by 2030 um, as, a, as a comparison to their 2018. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, puts in perspective that a lot of companies now from the public sector are starting to take in consideration as to what they can put through um, and how they can help with climate change. And I think it's really important to know, isn't it, that sometimes we think, oh, Ferrara Russia are doing it, uh, you know. But when we look at the emissions from companies, and we think about their production process and even, you know, the electric in their offices. If they have a plan to cut their admissions, it reduces the the overall emissions that their their country outputs, doesn't it? So it, it all does help. Every little helps, doesn't yeah, it, Ed? It's, you know, you've got some, like, like Malkeet said, it's like you literally this is down to the chocolate companies now. <laughs> That it's it's sort of become that widespread of a phenomenon for people to get involved in this when their industries do in any way contribute to the process of global warming, which the vast majority of them do. I mean, you know, you might not think of it, but like virtually every item in your everyday life at some point in its production had something to do with contributing to environmental issues. I think by heavily endorsing um, and advertising... Um, as well like companies such as Ferro and like all these different private companies I think it's getting the public to think about what they can do and what how they can contribute to climate change yeah by, by sort of signal boosting them when they actually do sort of make these commitments so that they'll actually be held to them it's 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 only right that these companies contribute obviously we can all think of some companies that are some of the biggest companies in the world that mass produce products. If you look at those products, they aren't really eco-friendly, are they? Um, you can imagine what it takes to to burn those fuels to make those products. Well, I think um, it sounds obvious, but this is sort of like the key point. Like the, One of the big reasons that like a large portion of this doesn't get on you could assert could be that a lot of companies sort of have difficulty shifting their attention away from their current methods of production and that would be one of the main reasons why we have such trouble sort of shifting towards a climate friendly economy and way of doing things is because we have such a multifaceted and varied economy as is it's sort of it's like you've got this huge sort of setup where everyone has to do things independently and you know it's like i mentioned national grid earlier they're a huge supplier of energy to a huge chunk of the country 
if they were to have not opted into the COP the way they have, then that would just be a huge private sector company that just has completely excluded itself from the process that's necessary to fixing this country's environmental problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. You know, the the scientists at the IPCC and the United Nations have said clearly that the global economy must quit oil, gas and coal rapidly and turn to solar, wind and other non-carbon energy sources. They've said clearly that we have the knowledge and tools needed to limit this temperature rise. And if we get get to that temperature rise, if we don't do anything, we will reach that temperature. And the consequences could be horrifying. Like, That's it. Like, 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 like we opened this sort of whole thing with. Like we, we had that sort of opening segment for a reason, to sort of just reintroduce the actual consequences of climate change and of rising temperatures because of how important they are and to sort of just contextualize why there is such this this such a huge effort to get this in hand and actually sort of fix the problem and it's really important on 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 that point to say that the temperatures and impacts that we have now are the result of carbon emissions decades ago you know that they're bound to increase in the years ahead they're not immediate so what we do now will affect the climate in years to come this is our time to act you know the ipcc report said that this is a code red for humanity it it couldn't be clearer could it so it's great to see that some organizations in the private sector are taking it seriously and i think it actually can be really good for business um, we saw the Obama administration um, bringing incentives to the automotive um, sector in the US to turn to, you know, green fuel per se, um, electric vehicles. The Trump administration turned that back. Now, even though those companies weren't then being forced to carry on with that, most of them stayed the course because they knew that that would be the way for the future anyway, hmm. that they had to change with the times. Yeah, and, and effectively, affecting change going back the other way just wouldn't be worth the effort, and I think that is what a lot of countries are catching on to, because, as I was sort of trying to get into earlier, with this sort of rhetoric and these sorts of goals being propped up by, you know, these sort of large-scale meetings and official government support, we're seeing a global and industrial switch over to new systems, not just for environmental reasons, but as a part of finding what people actually find acceptable socially. I mean, we live in what's called, on a technical level, the information era, this being the sort of time when people have easier access to more information than any other generation in history. So it's getting to the point where anyone in any sector, be it public, private, anything, are just running out of room to hide from the public staring down the problems they're continuing to let happen for better or worse. Yeah, it it, it is crunch time. Malkit, have we seen any other ways that these, these companies are actually having a significant impact? I feel like they have they are heavily endorsing it on um advertising advertisements um and also it's just a matter of pulling their audience towards thinking about climate change as well because you would never put um 
a chocolate company with climate change. But because these companies are coming forward now um, and reaching out to the public, showing them what they are doing towards helping emissions and climate change and things like that, I think it's getting the public to think what they can do and how they can also contribute to this. Oh, no, definitely. So we've covered a lot of ground here. We've touched upon net zero. We've touched upon some of the solutions that are being offered. But let's be clear. The world is not on track to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. The targets announced in Paris in 2015 would result in a warming well above 3 degrees. If we continue as we are and temperatures continue to rise, it would result in even more catastrophic flooding, bushfires, extreme weather and the destruction of species. The world urgently needs to halve emissions over the next decade and reach net zero carbon emissions by the middle of the century. That is, if we are to limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees. And finally, even if the world stopped burning fossil fuels tomorrow and spent trillions of pounds on adapting, the consequences of climate change are and they are catastrophic. That was the Eco Echo, discussing COP26 and the efforts to halt the climate emergency. We hope it helped and that you'll listen again next week.